Hello and welcome to episode 267 of the Thinking LSAT podcast in Stateline, Nevada. I'm Nathan Fox. With me in Vienna, Virginia is Ben Olson. What's up, Ben? Not a whole lot, man. Got yourself a new computer, so hopefully we don't fuck up the recording today. That's the plan. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Adam, if we do. Uh, today on the show, we have, well, let's see. Last week on the video version of the show, we had an interview with Santi Del Campo, who works with us now. He went from 143 to 173 in his own LSAT journey, and uh, now he's helping out with all sorts of uh, beginning and intermediate classes at LSATdemon.com. We had technical difficulties last week, and so the audio from Santi's recording didn't make it into the audio version of the podcast. We're going to play that for you this week. Uh, for the video version of the podcast. You saw it last week, so you remember. It was awesome. We have LSAT advice for a non-native English speaker. This is from a uh, listener email. By the way, you can always email the show, help at thinkinglsat.com if you want to get on our agenda. We have another question about scholarship chances with a very low GPA. This is a question regarding our new um, LSAT, or sorry, our new law school scholarship estimator. That's available at lsatdemon.com slash scholarships with an S. It is in beta, so there's sometimes some quirky results get spit out. So people, if if you have questions about it, email us, help at thinkinglsat.com. We're going to make that better and better uh, iteratively. That's just kind of how we do things around here. Uh, Last thing we're going to have on today's show is Kevin's personal statement. Brace yourself. Let's see. Right now, as we record the show, we're in the middle of October flex testing. I've heard mostly good things so far. Haven't heard too many horror stories with the you know Proctor U and all that stuff. It seems like it's been going smoothly. How about you, Ben? Have you heard anything weird? No. Sounds like it's going. Okay, that's that's good to hear. That's a relief, actually. The next deadline, as you hear this, Saturday. November 11th is the November LSAT flex testing week. Do we know when the next, the next LSAT should be on here, Ben? January, what is it? I feel it? like it's January 25th. Um, but okay. And registration is open, for, is open now. And the deadline for that actually has to be kind of coming up. Like sh- surely the deadline for that is early December at least, right? Yeah. Okay. We need to get that onto our notes here, but that's, that's all we got coming up here as we uh wind down the end of the year oh here let me so let me correct myself it's january 16th that's the week of for lsat presumably lsat flex but they still have it scheduled as the official (laughs) in-person lsat that ain't happening they just have (laughs) (laughs) including puerto rico and u.s virgin islands okay well we'll see about that and um the registration deadline can you guess january 16th is the date Okay, January 16th is the date. Normally, it's six or seven weeks in advance. I'm going to go with my birthday, December 4th. Ooh, your birthday. Well, it's really close. Two Uh, days earlier. December 2nd. (laughs) It's an early birthday gift for you. (laughs) Wow. Okay, so yeah, the deadline for signing up for the late January LSAT is uh, basically... Thanksgiving or like right after Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see. Oh, we got announcements. Mm-hmm. Um, we could have announced this last week, but uh, you want to talk about it? What's going to, what's, sure. what are we doing? Oh yeah. Okay. So if you have a fee waiver from LSAC, 
They will let you take, I think, two LSATs for free. They'll also give you their Prep Plus subscription, which is basically 12 months of access to their official LSAT questions in Law Hub. But anyways, that's worth 99 bucks. So that's what you get from LSAC. If you have one of those from us, we'll give you four months of the demon for $30. So um, normally that's 380 bucks because it's $95 a month. We'll give it to you for 30 bucks. Where did the $30 come from, Ben? (laughs) That came from LSAC because they are charging us, yeah, to give you access. So they they are giving you the LSAT Prep Plus subscription which you normally to work with any LSAT prep company, you have to pay for that LSAC subscription. It's $99 that goes directly to the LSAC. They're giving that for free to fee waiver students, but they, they also charge us a $30 per student fee to work with people who already paid for the $99 prep plus fee. Yep. They got to get their beaks wet uh, everywhere they possibly can. And so that 30 bucks, if we gave it away, if we gave away the, the LSAC fee waiver stuff for free, we would actually just be losing $30. So pay us the 30 bucks. We're going to turn around and pay that 30 bucks directly to LSAC. And uh, no, we're not making a dime off of, in fact, we're, we are in fact losing money off of giving away these LSAT, the, the fee waiver subscriptions for free because we're going to have to do a bunch of customer service and answer a bunch of questions and whatever. But we feel like it's the right thing to do. So it is what we are going to do. Tell your friends, you can get the LSAT demon for free if you uh, get the LSAC fee waiver. That's, by the way, on the LSAC website, right? LSAC.org. Is that hard to find or anything? Because we need to make sure everybody's applying for the LSAC fee waiver. Uh, I don't know. Actually, let me do a quick Google search and see what comes up. So if I type in LSAC fee waiver, fee waivers for the LSAT and credential assembly service. Oh, okay. So they're going to give you two LSATs, I think, and then CSA access, which makes sense. Um, yeah, it's C-A-S, it comes right up. But yes. What did I? C-A-S? Yeah. You said C-S-A. But, um. oh, see, dude, what the heck is wrong with me? Okay. So anyways, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty easy dyslexic. to find. Um, yeah. That's my diagnosis, having known you for 260-something episodes. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay. Uh, just to say it one more time, if you qualify for the LSAC fee waiver, you're going to need to give us evidence of that, and we will give you four months of the LSAT demon for a flat fee of $30. That's the LSAC fee. We have to pay that money to LSAC. So four months of the demon, normally that's $95 a month. Get it for 30 bucks if you qualify for the LSAC fee waiver. Uh, we also, for people who qualify for the fee waiver but do have some money that they want to spend on prep, uh, we're going to let you have 20% off of any of the higher plans. So um, Demon Premium costs $195 a month. Demon Live costs $295 a month. You could subscribe. If you have the LSAC fee waiver, you get 20% off of those. Okay. That's it for our announcements. I hope yep. I hope we get a lot of those subscribers. I mean, I it's always a bummer to hear people who – use the LSAC's free LSAT prep, <laughs> you know, like yeah. they got, Oh, I got the credential. Is this so I got the credential assembly service for free and I got the LSAT for free. And I also got this Khan Academy that I can use for free. And it's like, okay, yeah, except for that's garbage. 
So now for the for the thirty bucks that LSAC is going to charge us, you can study with with us in the demon instead. I think it's vastly better. So okay, I feel good about that. By the way, yeah. I want to say something about Khan really quick. I mean, we've bashed Khan Academy before, not necessarily Khan Academy, I guess, just the LSAT. <laughs> right. Oh, to, to be clear, which, no, Khan yeah. is great, and for a lot of other stuff. Yeah. But anyway, I, I was just thinking about it because um, this week, you know, several of the tutors or teachers, uh, demon teachers wrote in and said, hey, look, I'm getting a lot of people who are coming from other classes and saying, shit, I wish I hadn't have learned these other techniques. And we're, you know, slowly getting them out of those old techniques. I think that a while ago, I used to always think, hey, you know, whatever prep you've done, great. Let's just build on that. But the more I hear these students, the more I think it really kind of does set people back as opposed to just not helping them as much as it could. I'm open to the possibility that those other other prep companies help other people. Yeah. But the people who come to us, it's almost always just like, well, yeah, you can basically forget about everything that you learned everywhere else. It's fine. Don't worry. It's not that hard to forget stuff. You know, <laughs> just... Well, Whatever. I would I would think it's not that hard, but it, it surprises me how many people are like upset or like, you know, like, oh, I keep doing this thing. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, in a couple of weeks you probably won't be, but sorry, that sucks. Yeah. So. Give it a give it a few weeks and I'm sure you can lose all those bad habits, like reading the question stems first or like skipping around in the passages to try to, you know, skip skipping around in the sections to try to figure out which uh game you should do first or yeah. reading the questions first and reading comprehension and then doing the passage. There's so many terrible techniques out there that you might have learned. Just stop doing all that stuff. We're going to teach you a much more straightforward approach to the test. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's uh, cut in for, for the audio listeners. We're going to cut in the interview with Santi Del Campo. Um, enjoy. All right. Santi, tell us more about you I, I this is the first time we've talked ever yeah so. i was very excited to meet you too i i already met nathan uh when we first had our interview for starting working with the demon and um and yeah it's been going great so far i mean the team is great uh what you guys are doing is amazing and people are learning a lot from you and i i have to include myself on that because well I, as you said before i started with a 143 and being able to like make that big jump was not easy at all and yeah. being able to you know to use the demon as a student that's how i actually met you guys like i was i was started listening to this podcast and then i i was listening to your advice and i thought hey you know this what they're saying makes sense you know it's not bad at all like it's working for me so yeah. and i thought well i mean if what they're saying makes sense i get that i guess that their platform would also make sense you know so i started using the demon uh, the free trial I thought the idea of like being able to drill, you know, and the all these questions that are given to you based on your performance and your level is it's an amazing idea because it's a, it allows you to set up like your own drilling in a smart way and you're not doing that like the machine is doing that for you and it helps you a lot to learn and it's what how that that's I I have to uh, give credit to my. Like some increase my score to to the demo platform. It actually helped me a lot, but uh, but yeah, I didn't start with it right away. I start. I mean, I remember like I, the whole process took me about like five six months 
to make the jumping course, and it took me. I had to take the LSAT twice. And I have to say that at the beginning, I was not expecting to, I mean, I didn't want to get into the 170s. So like the thing about, it's pretty weird because a lot of people ask me, um, why are you taking the LSAT if you're from Spain? And it kind of makes sense because it's it's weird sometimes to have an international student just uh, taking this test to go take a JD. And it all started because I went to a Penn State Law to take a Master's of Law. And, you know, they told me, hey, you're doing great here. You could come to uh, the JD program with us. And I said, perfect. And then they introduced me to the idea of the LSAT. I had no clue what was that. And when I was doing logic games for the first time, I was thinking, this is not the test that I'm supposed to be doing. Like, I thought, I thought, yeah, I thought that this was supposed to be a, a law test or something. And now I'm, I'm putting, you know, numbers in places and just didn't make sense to me. So, yeah, I think that the first time my diagnostic, I was just more wondering what the hell was going on instead of like trying to solve it in a way. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, it was, it was pretty harsh to start with that because I had no clue what was that about or anything. So I uh, started, I did self-studying most, most of it. Um, the key, in my opinion, for me was just to do practice, practice and more practice because I tried to like get some theory before that. So I bought some books and everything. And there were some good resources, I think. Some of them were very bad, in my opinion, also. And there was like, you know, it's like, it's like, when you try to find a theory for the test, there's so many like blogs and, you know, people who start giving you their opinions. And it's like everyone's trying to give you the exact formula in order to solve it in a way. Like you have to do this for sure. And everything mm -hmm. will be fine. And that's not, that was not working for me. So for me, it was basically, hey, you know, sit down, take prep tests, fuck it up, get it wrong, check out like why I was wrong and then try to improve next time. And that's basically what I did. I just took a lots of practice. I reviewed, spent lots of hours reviewing them. Um, my score started increasing, you know, bit by bit. And then I remember I took my first test and I got a 167, which was very good. And it was way more than I needed for Penn State because Penn State, they like some professors told me, hey, if you get a, if you get to the 76th percentile, you're good enough to get a full ride, maybe, you know, or some consideration. I was like, awesome. And then when I, but when I got my first score, I was thinking, hey, you know, like if I made it this far, like, I mean, the test is learnable. When you start making like increase in your points, you, you, you understand that these tests can be learned. So it's not impossible. You know, there's, it makes sense kind of. So mm -hmm. I thought, hey, if, if I could make it sense, if I could make a sense out of it so I could get like a 167, maybe I could make a sense out of it to get to the 170s basically. And that's when yeah. I started with the demon. And what I like about the demon the most was your approach to logical reasoning. Because logic games, I just did it by myself and I just figured it out by practicing and reviewing. It's not that big of a deal, I think. Uh, reading calm, you know, um, it's it's reading calm. Like, there's not like, a, I don't have like a lot of specific strategies for it apart from practicing all what you're looking for and everything. But I love the approach that you had about logical reasoning, identifying the conclusion and just like asking yourself, like, just calling bull bullshit on the argument, basically. I never thought about it in that way, but when I started doing it, that actually, uh, I mean, they're not asking you all the time to find the bullshit in the argument, but what that allows you to think more about the argument, engage more with it, and to have more control of it, which is, at the end of the day, it's what you need. You just need a better understanding of what you're reading in order to get the, the answer choices correct. And yeah, that approach helped me so much that, you know, I was consistently beating in the 170s at the end. So I took the July flex and here's where I am, I am right now. Since I got my 173, I'm very happy with that score. And thanks to you guys that you played a big part of that. So really appreciate it. Cool. 
say what prompted you to apply to work with us? Sorry, can you repeat that question? Oh, what prompted you to apply to work with us? Well, I mean, basically, like I still I kept listening to the podcast, and the thing about it is that I talked with Nathan about this um, before my second test. I mean, I I had a friend who was also studying for the well, who was studying for the LSAT, and she. She asked, she was like in, stuck in the 150s and she was like, hey, could you help me? Because I'm not figuring this out. And I said, yeah, I could help you. You know, I didn't, I didn't work as a tutor for her. I just like, like to help her. And it also helped me because in trying to explain things to her, I was actually getting better because I was having a better understanding. And, you know, my friend told her other friend and then more people started coming. So I just like, you know, I was having like a, like a small class on my own, you know, like just starting with some people. Didn't do it like professionally or anything like that. I was just like trying to help and trying to get better myself. So, you know, I was, I'm waiting, I'm working right now here in Spain, but I also like, I'm working part-time. Um, I, I was listening to your podcast and you said, Hey, we're looking for tutors. And I said, yep, I want to do that because, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy teaching people. I, I think it's cool. I like the LSAT, I like studying for the LSAT. I know that a lot of people listen to this and they'll be like, you know, this guy is nuts, but whatever, it's what I like. And then your company is the one that I like the most. I mean, I've been reading about many companies and I haven't applied to, to the other ones at all. I mean, I didn't come through my mind to just, oh, I'm going to be a power score or something like that. You know, I just thought, hey, I mean, these guys, these are the guys that I've been listening to. These are the guys that I heard the advice from and what I've learned from. So if they're looking for tutors, I mean, that's what I want to work with, basically. Cool. Nathan? Talk about your decision, Santi, to um, turn down your admissions to law school this cycle and reapply. Of course. So uh, that's another story because like when I took my first test was in October last year, 2019. And then that's when I got my 167. Um, the, I mean, the official reason for it, it's COVID. You know, like you're in Spain, you have to go to the U.S. Everything is like the world is ending, basically. Like, um, and I was thinking, you know, like, should I go? It's a hard decision to make. But really, like what made me retake the test and wait for another cycle and just like, you know, withdraw all my applications and all the decisions that I got from other universities was basically thinking that I could get a better score at the end of the day. I mean, I'm not in a rush. I'm still young. Like I think I'm, well, you know, I'm 23 years old. I, I'm working here. I have a good life here. You know, it's not like I need to go this year or anything like that. I think that almost anyone has, like almost every, everyone could wait for another cycle. But, uh, you know, people like to say to them, tell themselves, I have to go this year. Like if not, I'm, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to die or something. So, but then I thought, you know, it doesn't make sense for me. Uh, I could get a better score. I'm getting like three points extra on the test. Like breaking the 170 could completely change everything. And also listening to your advice, you talked about this in the podcast a lot. You know, when you were talking about like COVID situation, you got lots of emails probably of people asking you like, hey, should I reapply, retake and everything? And well, I listened to that advice. And I said, yeah, you could better, you could get a better score. Um, you're not in a rush. Retake the test. So I withdrew my applications and I retook the test. And I'm so happy to have, done that i mean that's you know one of the best pieces of advice that i've heard and i recommend anyone listening to to do the same if you can do better in the test retake it because getting three more points it's like what hundred thousand dollars maybe the university or something like that something crazy like that so uh so yeah, yeah. I mean, and if you 
uh, what that's what I was thinking also. Like, hey, if you could if you could get like three more points, like you could make that much money just in scholarship money. It's not that I'm making the money, but I'm getting like you know there a bigger promotion code or something like that. But uh, but at the end of the day, that's you know that's that's what made me decide to like stay for one more year here and just like retake the exam. And you got six more points on your retake, right? One sixty seven to one seventy three. Exactly. Yeah, and you're applying this cycle. Do you already have your applications in, or you're working on those now? Yeah, I have my applications in. Uh, it was a little bit of a struggle to like write again the personal statement. I like a lot the one that I had. The problem with the personal statement for me was thinking like, you know, I'm a foreign student, so it's like I want to have like a personal statement talking about my my work experience because I already worked as a lawyer and I think, I think that there's like lots of things that I can talk about that. Like why, you know, like what am I doing? You know, what did I learn from that? Well, all the kind of stuff that you put in a personal statement, but at the same time, you also feel that you have to touch a little bit upon why you're going to the U S if you're an international student. That's also like something that you don't hear too many people talking about that because of course, like most of the advice is made for U S applicants, which makes a lot of sense. So, you know, I, for foreign students, you always have to think probably about the reason that, you know, it's aligned with your reasons to go to law school in the U.S. So it, it was kind of complicated to draft the personal statement, but, uh, but you know, I ended, up, I ended up finishing it and I've already played to, applied to some law schools. I'm, maybe I'm going to be applying to some other law schools in the future, but so far, like, I, I have a list that I wanted to, to try and I just applied to those ones. Did you add some schools to the mix because of your six-point increase? I did. I did. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not expecting to, uh, you know, I, I, I added like uh, some, let's say like top six schools, you know, to that, which um, I'm not expecting to get in necessarily because when I, I think that when you're an international student, no one really knows what's going to happen there, but would like to try at the end of the day. Like, you know, um, I already have the no, so it's about asking for fee waivers and if you can get some, Awesome. If you don't, I mean, if you really want to go to that school, just apply. That's the thing. What uh, kind of interactions have you had so far with the other demon tutors? Well, I mean, all of them have been great. I mean, it's, it's very, it's like, so I didn't know what to expect because it is kind of like a new world for me. Um, Just like the other tutors are just like very, apart from being professional and what they do, Something that surprises me is that every email that I send, like all the, they all respond me in a moment. Like every, everyone is on point with everything. You know, it's it, that's amazing. It's just like you send an email, hey, like should we do this, that, and ev- like you have you spend ten minutes and they're already answering to you, which is great. There's a lot of org- good organization there, and they're very chill. They're very nice with everything. I mean, I've been, I've been, I mean, it's been very helpful. Um, like all the sessions that I had, all I was I already covered for two sessions for logic games and reading com, and you know both Matt and Rebecca, who I was covering for, they they you know they wanted me to like have a meeting with them through Zoom, and they explained everything to me with a lot of detail, just basically that, and and I mean nothing to complain about. It's all it's all great. I mean there's a, a very good feeling in the in the working environment, and they're very professional about it. So yeah, cool. Glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> what classes do you have uh, on on tap? What are your upcoming demon classes, Santi? So they asked me to take over uh, Ceres, 
LR basics class and I love to do that because LR it's the one that I like to teach the most. I don't know why, just that's just the, the, the section that I like the most, basically. And uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I started yesterday. I had my first session on Wednesday and it was great. Students were participating. There were a lot of good points raised, like which, I mean, it's a it's an hour about just having a conversation with students where all the problems are solved. And also we have... We kind of have a good time because it's i think that that's kind of the approach that we're having here i mean i, I just i remember when i started studying uh, my friend gave me like a free access to a live course for another company and there was a tutor making a live course and everything and it was it was awful because it was scripted basically like students were not allowed to have their microphones on like we couldn't say anything basically mm. it's like if you want to have some if you want to like ask something write it on the chat privately and the teacher will try to like say something <laughs> right stuff and they, they wouldn't say anything about that so it was like what is this i mean they they clearly had a script and it's completely different than what we have right now which is basically me going through the questions and saying hey this is what's going through my mind basically and the good thing about the people working at the demon is that they it's it you can see how they clearly understand what the other students are thinking like when a student is thinking about the question and saying, hey, I don't understand this because I'm thinking about this, the good thing is that like I'm able to to be in their shoes, right? Like say, hey, I, I've been there. Like I know how it feels to be scoring at that, you know, that score and like having that thought process and this is how you overcome it. And uh, and it's great because we don't have a script or anything like that. We just like go through it with them and we have, you know, we just, it's just having a com- genuine conversation about like how to get better at this thing. So, uh, so yeah, and uh, that's what happened with LR, which was great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep doing that every Wednesday, same time, and I'm going to start doing another LR session for uh, on Monday at 9 a.m. So, yeah, very excited for that one, too. Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Ben, anything else for Santi before we let him go? No, it's nice to meet you. I, I'm glad things are going great, sounds like. So, thanks for joining the team. Yeah, thanks, awesome. Thanks to you guys for letting me join the team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Santi Del Campo, for coming on the show. Uh, we'll be in touch with you very soon. All right, perfect. Have a good one. Thanks. See ya. And we're back. <laughs> What's, uh, what is this next? E- oh, you, it's an email. Why don't you read this email, Ben? Sure. So the title of this is L-Side Advice for Non-Native English Speaker. Speakers, maybe. Okay. Hello, Ben and Nathan. Hope all is well with you. Yeah, it's going well. I'm an LSAT Demon Live subscriber since September. I just got my August LSAT score today, and I got a 155. I started LSAT prep this May, and over the past four months, I feel like my LSAT score improved very slowly. I started with a mid-140s after reading LSAT Trainer in June or July. Mm. I took 7 Sage for two months. Mm. So basically, I improved about 10 points from 140s to 155. I'm not very happy with this result. I think it has something to do with my wrong study methods or lack of motivation during the COVID time. Okay, I feel like I have no talent for studying LSAT. Okay. As a non-English native speaker who has only stayed in Canada for three years, reading comprehension is the biggest barrier for me. I can never do all four passages on time, 
and it's very difficult for me to keep active reading for those dull content. Each time I do reading comp, I have to spend extra time collecting the hard words and remembering them. Through all my timed sections, the wrong questions are usually more or equal than the right ones. In other words, they're missing about half. Yep. Okay. I, for example, wrong questions equal about 13 or 14. Because I study poli-sci and international relations, I'm assuming, I'm generally doing better on social science and humanities articles than on law and natural science articles. Okay. For logical reasoning, I feel like I improved a lot for speed. Not a something I'm looking for. No. Nope. I did I did 30 23 questions in August Flex, but I guess the accuracy is still not good. Okay, look, if you don't get to a question or if you get to a question and you get it wrong, it's the same as not getting to it. Right. So anyways, just don't even think about that speed stuff. I should get about 8 to 12 questions wrong in total. Okay, or you do get about 8 to 12 questions wrong, or you expect to, I guess. For games, that is the easiest section for me. I usually get no more than two questions wrong within 35 minutes. Zero, one, two. Okay, that's great. Nice work on the games. I will retake the LSAT this November, aiming to achieve 165. If necessary, I will retake it in January. Uh, Depending on where you're scoring, I don't know. 10 points in a month might be possible, but it seems like January is more likely. Could you please give me some suggestions on what I should do from now to the November test? Feel free to share my email on your podcast or please email me back. You can call me Jay in your podcast. Your advice will be highly valued and much appreciated. I sincerely look forward to hearing from you. Thank you very much. All right. Well, I don't know. Any reactions? Sure. Um, It's perfect timing. This story sounds exactly like Santi. Mm-hmm. Santi is a, not a native English speaker. Santi actually did learn English in Canada. Um, Santi improved from a 143 to a 173. Jay's a Demon Live subscriber. Santi is an LSAT Demon Live teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to Santi is what I'm saying, because I'm sure he will have all kinds of good advice. Yeah. As Ben mentioned... You're paying too much attention to speed. We can tell that, obviously. Your problem on LR and RC, it might, I'm not saying it's 100% speed, like because you're thinking about speed, but I wouldn't be surprised if 75% of your problem is actually arising from this idea that you have to do too many questions. Most people shouldn't be doing 23 questions in LR. Uh, not unless they're scoring well into the 160s. So if you're only at 155, um, you know, doing 23 questions while you're missing 8 to 12, that's your actual problem. Stop doing that. You need to do, I don't know, three or four fewer questions, but get three or four more right. You'll like already be at 160 probably. If you did that on both LR and RC, bingo. What else? Well, uh, just to pile on that, he says that uh, I feel like my LSAT score improved very slowly. Well, the problem with going fast, ironically, is not only do you get points wrong during the section, but by skimming over questions, you're not really learning how to answer them correctly. So you're, at at the very least, not making progress. But in a worst case scenario, which is not uncommon, you're actually teaching yourself 
bad habits. You're teaching yourself, oh, this is how I do this stuff, and your brain gets better and better at that, which is basically skimming and kind of guessing based on your gut sense. Yeah, I'm trying to think of, it's like running a race with, um, someone told you that you needed to tie your shoelaces together. So now you have like a limited stride. Mm -hmm. And so -hmm. you're like trying as hard as you can. And if you practice over a long period of time, you definitely will get faster (laughs) with this like bad approach, right? You'll get faster and faster slowly over time. But what you really need to do is untie your shoes. (laughs) And, And then if you just focus on getting it right one at a time, then your stride is longer basically. What is that right. called when your two shoelaces are tied together? What is it called? Yeah. Is there a I name for that? I don't think so, but I know that it's a prank that like baseball players yeah, sure. will play on each other in the dugout, things like that. I was just thinking if there was a name for that, that should be the name of this podcast because that's the most bizarre <laughs> analogy I, I can imagine. <laughs> You're welcome. It's just like that guy who's like has his shoelaces tied together and he's trying to run the race. You're like, oh yeah. Just I was like trying to Joe. think of a way that you could like hinder yourself in a race. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically what he's doing. He's, he's just, he's maybe a better analogy would have been trying to run a marathon before you're like capable of it. Sure. Yeah. Trying to finish the whole thing. Right. Yeah. Running off the gate, like running way too fast. And then everybody passes you up in the end. Cause you're beat. Cause you're beat. Although that doesn't really happen. I don't think on the LSAT. I mean, it's not like yeah, you should be you getting finish. tired during the 35 minute <laughs> sections. Um, but anyway, um, Thank you for indulging us, our crazy metaphors. Um, Jay, you need to do fewer questions on LR and RC both and just focus on accuracy. But come to all the classes. I mean, you're already subscribing to Demon Live. We got seven days a week, right? So come to, sounds like you should come to our beginning and intermediate reading comp classes. Sounds like you should come to our beginning and intermediate logical reasoning questions. Everybody's welcome in my class. Um, I don't know who this is. I don't, all I have is Jay. So, um, but if you come to my class, you know, do your best, ask questions. One question at a time is like really the best way to improve. So focus on understanding and don't worry so much about the timeline. You see how Jay's like, I will take in November aiming to achieve 165. If necessary, I'll retake in January. It's like, that's like an artificial timeline. It's a little bit like how Jay is trying to finish the sections on LR. Yeah. It's like, dude, you can't force it. You, it's going to take how long it's going to take for you to actually understand it because you don't score 165 or higher without actually understanding it. Yep. That's it's kind of like, here's another analogy for you. It's, yep. Maybe it's like working out. Like, do you ever hear okay. people who are like, oh, I'm benching this much. I'm going to go, I'm going to bite oh. November. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I'll be to 200, and if necessary, then I'll push it back to January. It's like you go, you work out as best you can, right. you do what you can, and you see how much progress you make, and then you do it again. You just keep going at it. When you focus you too much on the results, session. you get like you're not focusing on the process. You're just focusing on the results, and then you get like emotionally invested too much in mm-hmm. what essentially boils down to randomness anyway. Um shooting for a specific score. It's like, well, instead you should be shooting to understand one more question like this, that one you missed. Let's, let's talk about it. Cause you need to figure out, you've got to be able to really understand it where it clicks. That's where the improvement, like the long run faster improvement comes from essentially realizing that 
the test isn't that hard. Like you, oh, I, oh, I can figure it out. Oh, I see what they're asking now. Oh, I get it. Oh, that's no big deal. That's the real learning, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not this racing the clock type of thing that Jay is trying to do. Okay. Next email. Scholarship chances with very low GPA. It's a question regarding our new uh, estimator. Okay. Hello, all. Thank you for the podcast. I find it very helpful. So I used the new scholarship calculator tool and was a little dismayed by the results. I have a very low GPA, 2.9, which I will explain in my addendum that nobody cares about. Without getting into it, the reasons will help explain, but most definitely will not excuse my very low GPA. Well, it's not about excuses. God damn it. Go ahead, Ben. Sorry. I was just like my initial reaction to this sentence right here. The reasons like that's starting to almost see like, seem like a disaster, right? Like, Oh, this happened and and this happened. Oh, all these things happened. Oh, reasons, Uh, plural. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know what? It, we're not making any moral judgment about you and the schools aren't making a moral judgment about you either. They have to report your undergraduate GPA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're going to admit you or not admit you based on whether they want to report your LSAT and your undergraduate GPA. There's nothing you can do to change that GPA. And I don't care what you write on your addendum. It doesn't change the report that they have to make to the American Bar Association and to the world. So it just doesn't matter. It's just, it's just beside the point. It's like, stop talking about it. Write a short addendum, probably have one reason, but beyond that, it, it is what it is. And so I can anticipate the question that they're going to ask here, right? It's like, sure. well, when I put the numbers into the scholarship calculator, it said I couldn't get a scholarship. And is it really that? Is it really like that? Well, we don't know because it's an estimator and we'll get into it. But I mean, why would they want to give a scholarship to somebody who has grades that are below the like 25th percentile for that school? It's going it's not, to, it's pulling them down. It's a bad look for them. It makes them look bad. Now that's not to say it's impossible. They do admit 25% of the class with below their 25th percentile GPA by definition. And some of those might be really low. It doesn't really matter. What matters is the 25th percentile, right? Mm-hmm. But if, if, if you're going to lower their 25th percentile by coming to their school, why would they let you go to their school for free? I mean, now if your LSAT's really high, possibly, but it's not a moral thing. It's not these, it's like the excuses and the explanations just aren't really interesting. I don't think to anybody Mm -mm. it's, it's, that's, it's what it is. It's a, that's your number and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, They can't, the law schools can't, Hey, say, look, I'm ranked 33rd in the nation and little asterisks here. Like some of these GPAs, they're excusable. And so really right. we it's should like, be like a one, a 28, like no one this cares. Is, this is Julia, right? Yeah, yeah. That's writing in. This is Julia. Uh, yeah. yeah. They're not going to have an asterisk on their public data that says, yeah, but Julia had several reasons for why she got, you know, it's don't worry <laughs> about that. It, it would be higher other than, that's not, that's not on their public data. So it's not really a fact that helps them publicly become a more prestigious law school. Mm -hmm. It does the opposite of that. So they tend to charge those types of profiles to come to their school. 
I had a 2.5 undergraduate GPA and I didn't get great scholarship offers. I couldn't get a full ride to Hastings. 179 and a 2.5 did not get a full ride to Hastings. So even though it was the high, <laughs> it was literally been on the, their public information sheet that they printed out. It was literally the highest LSAT score and the lowest GPA for the entire <laughs> 500 people, Ben, 500 in my 1L class. And I had the highest LSAT and the lowest GPA. It's embarrassing. I was such a lazy <laughs> dumbass in college. Um, anyway, let's see. Back to Julia's, back to Julia's email. Okay. Um, I'm taking the LSAT in... October and November, planning on applying this cycle if I get a score I want. Based on practice tests, I think I can get in the low 160s, which would put me above the 75th percentile at the schools I'm hoping to attend. Like I was. I was in the 99th percentile for LSAT and in the first percentile for GPA. (laughs) The scholarship calculator did not yet have my top two choices. Oh, the scholarship estimator. We should say estimator, not calculator. Mm -hmm. Estimator. Um, It... (laughs) People are going to start going to schools and saying, the calculator says I should get $15,400 from you, so what's up? It does do calculations, but they're, not, they're by no means official calculations. They are estimations. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't have all the schools yet. We're adding schools, yeah? Is that, what, mm-hmm. is that a project? Yeah, it's got like 60 right now. Yeah, Jackson's working on it. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Great. But it showed that with my GPA, I could get a score in the high 160s and still not get any scholarship at similar schools or really any schools. Only top sixty on the calculator. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what will happen when we get the schools ranked down to a hundred and unranked mm-hmm. on there. I mean, because yeah, yeah. what does Golden Gate say? What does Southwestern say? What does, whatever? Um, what's the DC equivalent? Do you have a DC equivalent of Golden Gate or Southwestern ranked 99th in the country or a hundred hundred and first? Yeah, in like the country? American probably and Catholic. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. And they're not on there yet either. I don't know. Actually, it's a good question. Okay, we got to get that happening because I think that that's going to be very in- interesting for most listeners. Yeah. Um, if I change the GPA to 3.0 with the same LSAT, it showed I could possibly earn some scholarships. I know yeah. it's a new tool and it's just an estimation, but in your opinions, will having that low of a GPA completely shut me out from scholarships, even if my LSAT score is above the 75th percentile? I know you are LSAT experts and do not work in admissions, but you seem knowledgeable. Thanks, Julia. Um, I It actually looks to me like the estimator is making a pretty savvy decision there. Mm-hmm. What I said earlier was, I, I think where it really matters is if you're above or below their 25th percentile GPA. Mm-hmm. Because if you're above their 25th percentile GPA then you don't lower their 25th percentile GPA, but your LSAT will raise their 75th percentile LSAT. And that looks like a scholarship candidate to me. Mm-hmm. But if, if your GPA is below their 25th percentile, then it will lower their 25th percentile on the public record. Mm-hmm. And now you're a splitter. Well, the, well, she'd raise our LSAT, but she'd lower our GPA. So is it really worth giving her a scholarship or should we charge her? If it, she said the change was between a 2.9 and a 3.0, mm-hmm. but I bet that at a lot of those schools that are ranked 60th or whatever at the bottom of the scholarship yeah. calculator, I bet that's right around their set, their 25th percentile. Yep. Right. And so what the calculator or the 
sorry, estimator is doing there is it's just like, well, you're going to lower their GPA profile. So probably not. Yep. I think that's about as sensible of a way as we can do it. Of course, the estimator does take into account how many scholarships the schools give and of what amounts. And it takes into account their index formula, which is public data. Their index formula, just for anyone who doesn't know, is basically their tool that they use to combine their LSAT, your LSAT score and your GPA. And it gives those two numbers different weights depending on the schools. Like Berkeley gives way more weight to your GPA than, say, other schools. Uh, But most schools give a little bit more weight to the LSAT than the GPA. But bottom line is the the estimator takes that into account, how much weight they give to the, the two numbers. Yeah. And and then it further does take into account what happens when you're below their 25th percentile, which it mm-hmm. has to, because it's just, you know, it's, it's a speculation on our part, but it completely stands to reason. They're not giving scholarships to everybody. Why would they give scholarships to people who are below their 25th percentile on either LSAT or GPA? They want someone who's going to raise the public profile of the school. And if you're above 75th on one of the metrics... And then, you know, somewhere in the middle on the other, then you're going to raise the profile of the school. But if one of them is really low, it's just hard to get scholarships that way. We would be really interested to hear listeners' information. So email help at thinkinglsat.com. If you've already gotten offers, for example, I mean, we'd love to hear what offers look like for splitters. But... uh, the best we can estimate is that you're probably not getting a scholarship if you're going to lower them on one of those metrics. Okay. Anything more to say about that? Nope. I want maybe a word of encouragement for Julia. Just keep studying. I mean, if you score in the high one sixties, you're going to have a, but there's going to be something out there for you. Yeah. There's also like, there's a contact form on the estimator. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. If you want to, if you're looking for a particular school, hit that contact form and tell Jackson, hey, look, put this to the top of your list. We want to help those who are curious enough to ask. Totally, totally. Okay, so that's contact form. Again, it's um, lsatdemon.com slash scholarships to get to this uh, scholarship estimator. And there's a form right there where you can um, hit Jackson up and say, hey, dude, could we get Golden Gate? Or hey, could we get Southwestern? Um. I mean, Golden Gate, Southwestern, and American, for sure. We should start with those since those are schools that we're more familiar with and can you know, use them as a proxy for all of the other similarly ranked schools in the country. Sure. Okay. Um, ooh, personal statement time. Oh, all right. I feel like Kevin, is Kevin the one that has emailed like 100 times about with different versions because we've kept <laughs> putting him off, which... Sensibly. I mean, yeah, it's good on him. He's like, oh, I updated it. Oh, I updated it. Mm-hmm. Oh, you guys still haven't done the thing? Okay, I updated it. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. anyway, um, whose turn is it? Uh, I think you just read that. Okay. I guess it's mine. Yeah. Okay. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I have another updated version of my personal statement. If you haven't recorded it for the podcast yet, please use this one. Your advice is appreciated, especially with the last paragraph. Probably just cut it. <laughs> Yeah, it's out. My LSAT is a 168 and my GPA is a 379. Nice. I got a double major in linguistics and Middle Eastern studies at the University of Southern California. I've been practice testing in the 170s and just took the LSAT again today. 
Fingers crossed. Nice. Cheers. Kevin. That's yeah, the okay. thing that's going to really move the needle, man. If that comes back at like a 175, then we're in business. We are in business. Yeah, but yeah. we're in business anyway. But we'd really be in business with that. <laughs> okay, this is his personal statement. In 2014, I founded an international NGO that provides emergency assistance to LGBTQ people in the Middle East. Wow. Okay. That's big. It's it's international. You founded something. Let's hope that this wasn't just a solo endeavor. Um, I love that it's I did this yep. impressive thing. International NGOs have lawyers, you know? <laughs> and so this is clearly law adjacent, even if what you were doing wasn't a lawyerish type of a thing. Law yep. is big business. This is big business. I, are you skeptical at all? You you are skeptical because you just said hopefully it's not just like a one person thing. Yeah, I like this. This is gonna knock it out of the park if he can provide evidence that this is like a real thing, as opposed to you know just someone. You know, people say all the time, "Oh, I started this company." It's like, yeah, but what happened? Did it grow? Did it? Is it just you? <laughs> this is what they you call know? a swing for the fences here. This is. Um, I don't know if you've been watching any baseball at all, Ben, but I'm a Dodgers fan and they're playing the Padres right now. And the Padres have this kid, Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah. Dude swings for the fences. Like he just takes a rip at it and he hits hmm. a lot of home runs. He's a super, super, super stud. He, he, he is awesome. But, um, he also misses wildly a lot. I mean, it's like when you swing that hard, you're going to be, uh, home runs and there's going to be some, some wild swing, swing and a miss. So this is either what's one or the other, right? It's like, yeah, it's, it's either amazing or it's like, Oh wait, you did this in one semester during school and you were, you know, it was you and a buddy. And then and you helped someone who was your friend and that oh, was it, it. You're not doing it anymore. It's defunct now, you know, like that. When we hear that, then it's just like, wah, wah, yeah. good effort. But you made it in the first sentence. You you set us. You set the stage for like, oh, I'm a badass. Yeah. And so we don't want to go down from that. We want to build up and be humble, kind of. And that mm-hmm. that's a bold fact to lead with. He better be able to justify it. Yeah. Okay. So he continues. At the time, my job was developing speech recognition technology at Google. Um, okay, so a couple things. One, working for at Google is impressive. In I itself. like that he mentioned it. I wouldn't like name all of my, you know, you know, people who like just name the every firm and every job mm-hmm. and everything in their mm-hmm. personal statement. And it's like, no, no, we don't need all of those details. But working at Google is like just has an immediate people know like what about you know Google's like weird hire, you know, how they're they have those weird interviews and stuff. I don't mm-hmm. know if they actually do that for everybody, but the fact that I know that Google has those crazy interviews makes me think that Kevin did those crazy interviews, mm-hmm. which then makes me think that Kevin is a badass. Yeah. So, so I think dropping that in there is great. With that. Yeah. Yeah. Like a lot of people work at Google or Facebook and they leave and they go on and do other impressive things Right. because it was hard to get there. My only tweak to this sentence was, this is my job. Oh yeah. Time, my job my was. Job. No, no that's, that's your subject. Why, why not just say I developed speech recognition technology at Google. 
that sounds more impressive, even just that small tweak. Yeah, or, or maybe even I was developing if it's going to be um, – just don't make your job the subject of the sentence. That's – Yeah. Okay. One day, between meetings with engineers, researchers, and product managers, I received a surprise phone call from my friend Saif in Jordan. His family had kicked him out and threatened to kill him for being gay. There were no local emergency resources available to him. You know, I, I, all these sentences are clear, straightforward, they're short. That, so far, I think this is is good. I hope it doesn't turn out to be too much about his friend, but it right. kind of explains the origins maybe, so I'm willing to grant it for now. While studying Arabic in Amman the previous year, I had gotten to know the controversial openly gay editor of a Jordanian fashion magazine. A lot of adjectives there. Yeah, controversial, controversial. openly gay. Yeah, Leave openly gay. Take out controversial. We can maybe infer that in this part of the world, being openly gay is controversial. Yep. Get rid of controversial. Yep. I called him up to see what he suggested, and he introduced me to Hassan, a gay activist in Amman who worked with the UN Refugee Agency. Okay, Saif, Hassan, and I developed a plan to support Saif while he finished his degree and have found a way out of the country. What he needed most was cash, so I started fundraising. My first transfer to Saif was for the equivalent of $40, but we were soon able to cover much more. Colon. Over the next 20 months, we paid for his rent and school expenses while connecting him to a legal pathway to enter the United States, where he now lives. Okay. Uh, I would not use the colon in that way, but um, I don't think at least. Uh, what, do you, what are your thoughts about this? Well, no, I agree. I, I'm, I was stumbling. I kind of stumbled over the colon because it just makes the sentence super long. Mm-hmm. Why does it have, it doesn't have to be that long. You were writing such nice, clear, short sentences and now you're getting fancy with the colon and it's creating a a real long sentence for what purpose? Um, I was new new sentence. This is one of the best personal statements we've ever had on the show. For sure. Mm -hmm. Like not even close. Like it's a clear, one of the best we've ever had, which makes it enjoyable to work on by the way, because let's talk about the idea of, my first transfer to Saif was for the equivalent of $40. What's the purpose of including that factoid? It's a nice fact. I get it. You're telling me a story. I can see it two ways. I think what you're going to do is you're, gonna, you're, you're trying to say, we bootstrapped this. From humble beginnings, we were able to do something big. Mm-hmm. And I like that startup kind of vibe right? You're already in Silicon Valley. You're a founder. Okay. So bootstrapping, I I get it, but you already told me that you founded an international NGO that provides emergency assistance to LGBTQ, LGBTQ people in the middle East. And when then you then start talking about $40, I'm worried that this is going to not turn into the grand international NGO that you have promised me. 
And when you bring it back to $40, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Is this just a college kid doing this on a semester off? He did an internship at Google and then he, you know, did this thing with his buddy. 100%. I actually thought the same thing. It's like, uh oh, 40 bucks. Because notice this $40 also comes right after the sentence. What he needed most was cash. So I started fundraising. It's like you're getting and, money for your buddy, which is just sort of like, what? <laughs> Well, also think about this fundraising and the result of that fundraising was $40. Like you worked at Google. I'm you pretty confident. Gave you could him just, $40. <laughs> you could you just gave give him $40. $40. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why did you go through the effort of fundraising if that's all that you were going to send initially? Now I get it. Maybe you were going to send more, but this is the whole point. Don't talk about this $40. It's like a distraction. It raises a lot of questions. I'm almost thinking, you know, it, naming so it's for your friend Saif then you're also bringing up Hassan there's two guys in this but all you're doing is raising money for one of those two guys so far I almost like cut Saif entirely you can get straight to the like is there not a more interesting story you could tell about the operation of your international NGO? Mm -hmm. I think this comes back to most people's desire to explain the origins of whatever they're doing now, as opposed to talking about what they are doing now. Instead of starting in the middle of the story, this is, Oh, by the way, Ben, this is 2014. Why are we going back to 2014? Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is because it's, and I mean, okay, it is you, founding the thing but we're willing to buy that you founded the thing if we see you later running the thing yeah which the thing is bigger than this one story of you reaching into your wallet and giving forty dollars to your friend like we'll see what happens when Kevin right, exactly. goes further and if kevin dives into the thing and we get much more of what's going on now, I would be willing to grant him a few sentences to explain how this started, to explain his interest in this field, in the Middle East, in gay issues and so forth. Like, But again, I don't know that he would need it. But I, I'd be willing to grant him some, but I'd, I doubt that it, he needs to like unpack this as much as he is, right? It's like right. so much it's just, detail. See- it's a little right, which facts are good, and this is mm-hmm. really full of facts. Yeah, and and so that's awesome. But I do think it's just maybe what we're talking about is just get out the scalpel and just kind of cut some of this. I have a feeling you could just lose whole sentences, and but you know leave half of it or something because um, close to eight hundred words here, Ben. What is the typical word count supposed to be? It's like 500, seven, 750. Yeah, so, so five, some schools seven, allow yeah. longer, but this. Is seeming like kind of a lot. Mm-hmm. All right, that's the first paragraph. Oh, that's is the first it? paragraph. Well, okay. hold on. Let me. Uh, let's see. Over the next twenty months, we paid for his rent and school expenses while connecting him to a legal pathway to enter the United States, where he now lives. I mean, actually, that's even more interesting than the fundraising. Sending someone money seems much easier than figuring out how to help him get to the United States. So, um, anyways, just a random thought about that. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting to the bigger stuff. I have a feeling that there's bigger stuff that this international NGO has done. And I'm so, 
I just want to make sure that that's actually there. So I'm hoping that we get to that stuff instead of this one like smaller anecdotal thing. At the time I met Hassan, I recruit. I also recruited my friend and former college classmate Clara. I don't know that we need that extra detail. This is the third new person that that Kevin has introduced us to. Yeah. Who was getting her graduate degree in nonprofit development to advise on fundraising. That's a clunky sentence. Yeah, it's really long too. Recruited. And then there's so many words until you get to the two. At the time I met Hassan, I also recruited my friend to advise on fundraising. Yep. But you put in friend and former college classmate, Clara, who was getting her degree, her graduate degree in nonprofit development (laughs) before you get to, why did you contact her? Mm -hmm. Okay. In the spring of 2014, again, we're still back in the past, Hassan, Clara, and I decided to establish an organization and called it Rainbow Street. But you could... You could just be operating Rainbow Street instead of telling me these historical details about yeah. the founding of the organization. I, it's a lot easier to found an organization than it is to build it up into something impressive or operate it once it is something impressive. Yeah. Imagine this. What's more impressive? What Google is doing today or its founding story. I, or on a much smaller I mean, scale. People like ben, that. <laughs> on a much smaller scale. What's more impressive? LSAT Demon or me making photocopy, you know, print, like having a printer and like printing out copies of tests <laughs> for my nine people that I had in my first class in the back room of in, in 2009 in the mission district of San Francisco on Folsom street in the back room of a restaurant. <laughs> what would you rather? I reached Let's... out my, to my friend who was in real estate prospecting and he suggested that I go to this hotel for this classroom. And having I a whole website with a big global thing and like big classes of people, like, is that more impressive or is it more impressive that I had to delay the start of my first class because I didn't have full enrollment. And so I had to call the four people who were registered and say, Hey, do you mind if we start two weeks later? And they said, yes. Like, is that, (laughs) that doesn't make me look like a baller at all. (laughs) Not that I'm a baller at all, but surely the bigger (laughs) enterprise is more impressive than the founding moment. So this is just a lot of historical small scale stuff here. By the way, we were just working on the events page yesterday, and we were talking about time zones, so all the time zones will be reported in the user's time zone, right, as opposed to the way it is now um, with the Eastern time and all that. And they're they're like, what time zones do we need? I was like, um, honestly, we have people everywhere, so we're just going to have to use a master list as opposed to like just Eastern. Pacific. We probably should yeah. use 24 time zones, yeah. I yeah, mean, we have people are all over the place, especially now, so... Yeah. I wonder what time zones we don't have. That'll be interesting to see where where our le- I mean obviously the US time zones are going to be the most popular, but mm-hmm. I wonder if we'll have just a desert. Oh, out in the ocean probably. There's like time zones where nobody lives. I wonder that. Actually, that's a good point. But, you know, people are on their boats, on their yachts, they got to do their LSAT demon. So 
True. <laughs> anyway, so uh, he continues, over the next six months, I recruited a board of directors, wrote the founding documents, successfully applied for 501c3 status, and launched a website. Okay, in the fall, I organized fundraising events and workplace giving campaigns that attracted a loyal base of grassroots donors. A loyal base of grassroots donors? Uh, the adjectives are a little annoying. Yeah, Kevin likes to describe his things, I guess. Um, fundraising success allowed us to increase our shelter caseload our shelter caseload in Amman and expanded to Beirut, Tunis, and Baghdad. After four years of managing the organization while working full-time at Google, I made the decision to work exclusively for Rainbow Street. Wow, that sucks. Okay, so this has become a thing, right? If you can quit your job and start working for the nonprofit you started, that's a thing. It's not like a solo enterprise. But I mean, what if we started at that point? In 2016, or wait, sorry, over the next six months in the fall, oh, four years, okay. So first sentence of your statement could have said, in 2018, I quit my job at Google to run my international NGO, Rainbow Street, full time. That's badass. <laughs> I mean, that's not the we exact words. We have no words, questions, but... too, either. It's not like, oh, I wonder if it was a solo operation. No, it's We like... can beat that as far as, like, the actual words. But the the idea is, like, that moment of, boom, mm -hmm. you're quitting your job at Google. Already a badass for even having a job at Google. Quitting a job at Google to go work full-time at the NGO that you founded. Great. Like, why am I, so then leave out the part where you built the website, leave out the part where you applied for 501c3, like. Wrote the founding documents actually sounds pedestrian. Look, it's good that you're providing these details, but given what you have or could talk about, you shouldn't be talking about these things. You Cut the be first about paragraph and a half and start with, yeah. I quit my job at Google to work full time at this NGO that I founded. All right, go ahead. Fundraising success allowed us to increase. Okay, I read that. After, okay, blah, blah, blah. I made the decision to work exclusively for Rainbow That's Street. That's where we should start. Soon, yep. Soon after, I submitted grant proposals to the U.S. State Department and the Canadian Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Think about how much more impressive that is than writing founding documents. Anyone can do that. And with naming all your random friends. <laughs> yeah. Both were successful. Hmm. I I don't I'd cut that. It's a conclusion. Let's just talk about what happened. The following year I hired our first paid program staff and this year I'm managing the organization with an annual budget of $180,000 on track to serve a bigger caseload than ever. Mm. We are the longest lasting region-wide resource for LGBTQ people seeking direct services in the Middle East and North Africa. Um, <sighs> I got a problem. Yeah, go for it. Annual budget of $180,000. Small. I thought he was making more than that at Google. 
Now that's the entire budget of his organization that he quit Google to work at this organization full time. Hmm. I think he just needs to leave out the budget. The precise it's, number. It's problematic. Why does he need to name? He, he, see, he thinks $180,000 is like an impressive number, but it's the exact opposite of that. Yeah. I'm not belittling his accomplishments at all. What I'm saying is his story just took a shift in a weird direction for me. Mm-hmm. Don't people at Google who work on speech recognition technology make a lot of money? Yeah. And, and now if he's paying himself $0 because he can to run this organization, that's great. But I still don't think that the, the including the $180,000 is not having the effect that I think he thinks it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm also concerned about this uh, claim that we're, we are the longest lasting region wide resource. Um, I would just talk about your success. It's almost like, I started thinking, oh, is this going to end soon? Like these things don't last. Is yours not going to last? I don't know. Not just, only that, not only that, but it's overly brag, braggy in a um, yeah. David Fagman. We're seventh, you know, we're, we, we're, <laughs> we're in the top nine in four different things like that. Yeah. That's yeah. what this is kind of. We're the long, longest lasting. So not the biggest or the best or the whatever. It's we're the longest lasting Mm-hmm. Region wide, region wide resource for the for LG, LGBTQ people seeking direct services in the Middle East and North Africa. It's like it's you can feel the like category narrowing, yep. mm-hmm. in a way that you then win. <laughs> so <laughs> it's. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not an accomplishment. I'm just saying I don't know that including that detail. Because what is it? It's a comparative thing, right? It's like we're mm-hmm. better than the other ones. Well, what if the other ones are shit? Yeah. Like Ben said, well, oh, the other ones all went out of business? Yeah. So you're the only one there now? Oh, well, how successful can you be then? Okay. Yeah, I, well, I, I should say, I mean, to to his credit, we are the longest-lasting region-wide uh, podcast recorded in... <laughs> Right. Deanna, yeah. Virginia, and <laughs> State Line, Nevada. Right. Yeah. Uh, anyway. I don't, I, um, we're having a bit of fun. This is a great personal statement or it has the potential to be a great personal statement, but it could be definitely even better with some, we want to yeah, help. You could blow people away. Like we'll this, help make Kevin make some good choices here about what to include and what not to include. Cause he's shooting himself in the foot a little bit. Yeah. One thing to think about here, Kevin, is that you have great numbers, right? LSAT GPA and hopefully even better after the test you just took. And this statement is awesome. So if you apply to schools, you're going to do great. What we're doing is we're trying to take an A minus personal statement or maybe even an A. It's probably an A realistically compared to all the other shitty statements that are out there, but turn it into an A plus plus where someone's like, holy fuck, if we don't get this person, we're failing. He has an A plus story. Yes. We just need to make it a, make it an A plus statement. Make the make his story actually just show in the statement. And it's that I keep bringing it up. It's that Pixar storytelling thing of of starting your story later. Start mm-hmm. your story deeper into the story. And so he started with this 
founding stuff, which is interesting and impressive, but it's just not nearly as impressive as, you know, he's got a punchline. He should start with the punchline. Mm-hmm. And then be careful about which details you share because a couple of these things, I mean, these sentences are, they're like braggy. You don't mention the size of your budget if you don't mean to imply that your budget is impressive. And you don't say we're the longest lasting if you're not trying to say, you know, you're patting yourself on the back. Mm-hmm. Well, then the reader gets real skeptical. The reader's just like, that's distasteful kind of. The reader doesn't like it when you pat yourself on the back too much. So then they start being skeptical of like, oh, really? Is that even a big budget? Or, oh, really? You're the longest lasting one? Less is going to be more on some of that stuff. Third paragraph. Security-related issues frustrate our operations regularly. Ugh, mm. I, I don't like that yeah. sentence. Your subject <laughs> is security-related issues? <laughs> like what? Yeah, it's like money getting stolen somehow... Also, this is like a negative thing. Yeah. This this is like his operation is having problems. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. He continues, dozens of volunteers throughout the Middle East have joined our effort despite the serious risks of being outed as queer oh, to their families. Yeah. Okay. Well, be, you got to be specific there because otherwise I thought you were talking about people stealing money. Now it's obviously like, oh, right, people who volunteer for you out themselves and then get fucked over by their whatever communities. You know, this is so funny because you don't need that first sentence at all. If no, you said right. dozens of volunteers um, face serious risks, we'd be like, okay, it doesn't look bad on your organization at all. It's just like, yeah, this is tough stuff you're doing. But the way you frame this, it's like brought us down. In most countries in the region, it's illegal to be gay or transgender. An organization like ours are outlawed. So we're forced to work in the margins, which makes us vulnerable to government harassment. I don't know if I would focus on the Ill- illegality of your organization. That's You're going to law school. Lawyers in an ideal situation are working within the law to affect change, not working outside it, uh, even if that's necessary. You should just avoid one-sided conclusions about right and wrong. I, or I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say, but it's this, if there's a government, then there's a legal system. Mm-hmm. And if the government is harassing you, well then, I don't know, they probably have lawyers or representation who have a very different view of this situation. And even though I morally agree with you, obviously I don't think that you should be harassed by the government for working in these issues or for being out or whatever. Um, but it's a statement that makes it like, it's a, makes it clear that you, I don't know. It's, it's not a lawyerly thing. To, lawyers would be talking about both sides, I guess. Mm-hmm. Not, not that I'm trying to say that one side has any chance of being right. It's just that there's yeah. a legal, this is a, fighting with the government is a legal matter. And I don't, I don't know. I just don't see the need to talk about it. Just, you say, hey, look, we understand you're facing challenges. and I think that's what I'm trying to say, yeah. yeah. You just don't need it. Recently, my name was blacklisted by the Central Bank of Jordan. So I improvised a method for transferring funds into the country and established a local partnership that can provide cover for our work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're laundering money? I don't know. This, <laughs> this is not good. I don't think you... 
I think you should definitely not mention that at all. Yeah. Should I don't think you should be talking about that, period. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so I improvised a method for transferring funds into the country and established a local partnership. Oh, I just read that. I engaged attorneys and international security experts to help us assess our risk and raise the level of digital and physical security protections for our staff, volunteers, and beneficiaries. You can talk about that stuff. Yep, you can. But mm-hmm. not the the particular the earlier thing where you're talking about how you snuck funds into the Central Bank of Jordan. We don't need to don't leave that out. Wow. Yeah. Publicly, I strike a delicate balance between promoting our work to donors and maintaining the low profile required to safely sustain our operations. I don't know. I think you see yourself too much as Robin Hood and Yeah, you gotta um, focus get away from this like um underground uh James Bond type of shit. We don't that's not impressive. Ta- we understand that there are difficulties dealing with different in, in different, you know, countries. Absolutely. You're an international NGO. For sure talk about how you work with lawyers and consultants and security experts to help keep your people safe. Absolutely. But you can leave the Ocean's 11 shit out of it. You don't. <laughs> I know Ozark Ozark Ocean 11 <laughs> yeah. whatever. It's like that's all that's coming to my mind right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Uh, this is the next paragraph. The hostility of the environment highlights the need for special protections for LGBTQ people. Clients contact us via a secure form on our website or are referred by one of our partners. Uh, You already were working with security experts. I was imagining a much more high-tech solution than a secure form on your website, you know, like that. I thought we were talking about some blockchain type of, you know, like <laughs> I could imagine more impressive details than the details you're actually providing, then don't provide those details. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, if that's all that Kevin's got, maybe it's, it's it works. It's, it's, it's true. It's practical. I don't know. But I, what I don't like is the, the illegal stuff um, for sure. They're usually seeking direct services like, legal advice or job placement few few feel safe approaching the humanitarian organizations that might help them for fear that cultural taboos around gender and sexual sexuality will prevent local staff from treating them with the necessary care and discretion uh whoa that's extraordinarily long and not it feels about like you. <laughs> it feels like something you already said. We we understand that there has to be secu- security. You already mentioned it's illegal to be gay or transgender, and we get it that everybody's afraid of being outed and the shit that might happen to them. And so yeah, now you're just it's, it really feels like you're repeating yourself. I'd rather hear more about what you actually do with them than hear again that they're afraid to reach out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um so, and plus it's about them. It's not about you. Right? I want right. to know what you did. Right. So, comma, I'm not a huge fan of a comma right after so or but at the beginning of a sentence, Kevin, just FYI. 
it just slows things down. So I would remove the comma. We research which organizations are equipped to meet the needs of queer and transgender people and advocate our clients' cases to them directly. That's a very big, it's very, um, sorry, high level where what do you two huge things equipped research to meet the needs of queer and transgender people. What's that mean? What do you mean equipped yeah. to meet the needs? Yep. And then the only issue that I know them? we were talking, yeah, I thought we were talking about security. I get it that you have to have a secure network. What is all these words about equipped to meet the needs of? Well, here's the thing. This one sentence has two big things that your organization and hopefully you are leading and you could unpack them and talk about them and they're not illegal. (laughs) Right. And they could like you advocate your clients' cases to them. If you're really advocating for them, what are you actually doing? Or is this just a big word for saying, Hey, will you please help Joe? Yeah, I know. I, does he, does he just really mean refer there? Yeah. And, and then in, case, in that case, nothing to say. Mm-hmm. why does it even need to say directly? <laughs> I don't know. That's right? <laughs> you can Either cut directly for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Our referral network spans the Middle East and North Africa and includes humanitarian organizations that specialize in migration, legal assistance, human rights ag- advocacy, healthcare, mental health support, employment, and more. Whoa, this is just like... That sounds like a, like a resume, like line item. Like, look at all this shit we do. Like, can you unpack any one of these things? If an organization hasn't yet developed LGBTQ-sensitive programming, we coordinate with that organization's country director to provide training to local staff. These half-day awareness sessions encourage participants to set aside personal biases and recognize the objective vulnerabilities of the LGBTQ client population. Objective vulnerabilities hmm it's interesting seems like it actually should be subjective but i would drop it entirely they're just vulnerabilities they're just vulnerabilities yeah um our clients have reported increasingly positive interactions with participating organizations after these trainings okay our, like our trainings are good yeah I, I would uh i would if these things are really happening and you're doing all this stuff pick them and unpack them you unpacked the founding of your organization with exquisite detail and facts. Let's cut that and pull those facts from one of these things. Talk about how you developed a training program. Develop uh, how you found these organizations and are getting them on board. I don't know. There's so much you could say here. Like It sounds like your organization is doing a lot, but you're just skimming over the top at the end here. Yeah, it's like he's trying to encompass just a surface view of everything. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, it comes off as paradoxically, it comes off as weirdly small. It does come across as small. Cause you wonder like uh, when, when you say you advocate, are you really just referring and therefore there's actually nothing here, which is why you haven't said anything about it. Right. When you do a surface treatment of everything and try to make it sound big, it seems as we can see you working, we can see you doing that. And so then it makes it feel less than we're just skeptical. And the exact opposite would happen if you went into one of these areas, you know, maybe you can follow a client through your organization, 
just yeah. for one totally random idea, but follow a client through your organization, especially to the extent that you're involved in doing stuff. We'd love to hear mm-hmm. about what you do to run this organization. Yep. And go deeper into one area of it. And then we will ourselves imagine a bigger organization than you, than it looked when you did it the other way. Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking about a global empire. The second he had mentioned quit Google started doing this. I mean, I, I'm not saying he's not around the world, but when he threw in $180,000 as the budget of the organization, it was like, well, that's not a lot of money for running an international organization. Mm-hmm. And I get it that it's largely volunteers, but still that's just, you're not spending a lot of money. You're not, you, you can't be raising or spending that much money if that's your budget. Yeah. Yeah. I could have imagined all of the wealth of resources they have available if he hadn't like specifically said, we have this wealth of resources available. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I'm actually knocking this statement down to like an A minus. I think it's still got great substance and I don't think it's going to hold you out of law school, but it's not going to give you the punch that you could have, I think, with pulling out your story in a more effective way. It's an A plus story, yep. but it's a B plus statement at this point yeah. because it's just, it, it went too much into details that don't matter that much and then tried to go too global Mm-hmm. It's odd, like an odd mix on the of... stuff that does matter. <laughs> yeah, it's too long ago. It it needs to be more about what happened in 2019 or 2020. Yep. Last paragraph, which is short, um, although actually kind of long for last paragraphs sometimes. Every client matters. <sighs> okay, platitude, but I grapple with the knowledge that there are more strategic ways to address widespread social inequalities than providing charitable assistance. Uh, what? Huh? I don't even know what that Like said. what? And what are you doing? You're shitting on your own story? Is that what yeah. you're saying? Is like, oh, actually, this charitable assistance that we're providing, we, you know, there's more strategic ways to address this. Yeah. Well, then why aren't you doing those other more strategic ways? I guess what you're going to say is that's why I have to go to law school. Just cut this. You- <laughs> yeah, you're shooting on your own story. This is impressive. Look, most people sit at home watching Netflix and playing video games. Don't shit on the work you've done, even if it's not adequate. With his story, problems. he does not need to make any last paragraph tie to law school. Nope, nope. International nope, nope, nope. NGO? Yep. That's it. We understand why you're going to law school. Yeah, this is Tell impressive. us about you. You do not need to now say, I... I want to go to law school. They, it, people do not need to say, I want to go to law school. <laughs> it's implied. Yep. Okay. This last sentence is really interesting, actually. It says, I'm interested in law as a medium for engaging with these challenges on a systemic level rather than one person at a time. Many people would argue that the exact opposite. <laughs> That working with people one at a time is exactly how you solve problems and trying to have a systemic solution may or may not work and we have no fucking clue. So this is just like a weird platitude to throw in at the end or like ideal or something. I This, this whole thing just needs to go. Clients are people. Most legal cases are people, people. right? <laughs> 
Yeah. Just cut it. We tell us about you. Right? Save that space for telling us more about your work running the NGO. Like tell us a couple stories from the last couple years of shit that went down in your organization specifically. We can infer all of the rest. We don't you don't have to try to spell out every single thing that your organization does. Just talk about some of the more interesting stuff that your organization does. We will infer a big global empire around that if you just tell you know, stories about where, where you and your organization were really able to help somebody or where you felt like you were particularly effective as a manager, maybe, or yeah, there's lots that Kevin can do. I mean, this will turn out to be an A something. Yeah. Yep. Thanks, Kevin. I think that's it, Ben, for today. Yeah. You have a hard out. so I do. You want, I, uh, I, guess, yeah. I guess we'll wrap it up there. Um, thank you, Kevin, for writing in with your personal statement. We are on uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all the social medias. Uh, just look for at Thinking LSAT and at LSAT Demon. Uh, you can also follow at Thinking LSAT and at NFox. That's me on Twitter. Leave us a review on iTunes if you're so inclined. Email the show, help at thinkinglsat.com. Feedback about what we talked about today, um, questions for next time, personal statements if you're brave. That was episode 267 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school.